Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. You know, it's pretty mind-boggling to me that this Sunday, this very day, along with literally you know, hundreds of millions of Jesus followers and hundreds of thousands of churches, we are gathered together to celebrate the greatest event in the history of the world. That three days after Jesus was crucified and buried, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, he was not there, he is risen from the dead. And because of that, we gather together to celebrate the power and the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So welcome, everybody. So glad you're here today. We have standing room only here today, okay? Appreciate you guys standing in the back. I did see a couple seats over on the edges here if you want to come up and sit down. And I just want to let you know up front here that next week, we're going to actually be launching into a new series called One Minute After You Die. And we're going to dive deep into the whole compelling topic of what happens after you die life after death. You won't want to miss that. But today, what I want to do is to talk about one of the most important questions of life. In fact, when you get to the end of your life, there is no bigger question than this. What does it take to be made right with God? What does it take to be made right with God? You know, if you ask that question today, you're going to get all sorts of different answers. And you have to admit, no matter what your beliefs, no matter what your spiritual background is, maybe you don't have much of a spiritual background, we live today in what I would call a very spiritually pluralistic society. In other words, tolerance is a very high value. And so it's not unusual to hear people say things like, well, all roads lead to God. Or it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere or all world religions are basically the same. In fact, when I was studying religion in my undergraduate degree, there were all sorts of different people there with all sorts of different religious beliefs. Ran across a story the other day about two individuals who were having a little dialogue, a little debate about their religious beliefs. And one of them believed in reincarnation. And she would say this, whatever you love in this life is evidence of what you were in a previous life. And so her friend asked her, well, then what do you love in this life? She said, well, I love France and I love trees. And so she was convinced that she was reincarnated and she was once a tree in France. Well, well, her friend wanted to joke with her just to poke a little bit of fun. And so he said, well, let me see if I've got this right. Whatever I love in this life is evidence of what I was in a previous life. She said, yeah. And he goes, well, you know what? I love dogs and I also love France. And uh, so evidently, if I've got this straight, <laughs> you were once a tree in France and I was a dog who lived near your tree. Is that right? <laughs> Anyway, you're going to get all these different beliefs about God. And what's so interesting to me is that most people, a ton of people, they don't think a lot about God. They don't think a lot about eternity. But then as soon as somebody dies, everybody starts thinking about it, right? We tend to think we're indestructible. And then one day we recognize we're not. And it seems like when someone dies, no matter what, almost everybody adopts what I would call a feel-good theology, Right? It doesn't matter how they were raised, what they believe. They start saying things like, well, thankfully she's not suffering anymore. Or he's gone on to a better place. He's now an angel in heaven. Something like that, right? They say something that feels good. Now grandma's in a better place looking down on us. Right? Grandma's in a better place looking down on us. 
I don't know about you, but just to be honest, there are at least three times a day when I don't want grandma looking down on me from anywhere. (laughs) Just saying. Give me a little privacy, Graham. How is it that we're made right with God? It's, It's probably no surprise in this room that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. But what's fascinating to me is in our world today, it seems like you can talk about religion, you can talk about spiritual things all day long. It's really not that controversial. You can say you believe in a higher power, a higher being, God, spirituality. It's not that controversial. When does it get controversial in our world today? You mention the name of Jesus, and then all of a sudden it's really controversial, which is interesting to me because very few people deny the existence of Jesus. Did you know that? I mean, almost nobody, no rational thinking person is going to say there was no historical figure named Jesus. People generally accept that, yes, someone named Jesus lived. And what's also interesting to me is that people don't really dislike the teaching of Jesus. I mean, it's hard if you're a normal, moral person to dislike Jesus' teaching to help the poor, to love those who are overlooked, to forgive people. So they don't debate the teaching of Jesus. They don't debate the existence of Jesus. Then why is it that people get so wigged out when you mention the name of Jesus? I think it's the exclusive claim of Jesus. See, we live in a very inclusive world. All beliefs should be treated equally. Nobody should be left out. All roads should lead to God. All religions are basically the same. But Jesus diametrically opposed that mindset when he claimed to be the only way to God. It's the exclusive claim of Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through In this very inclusive world of religious pluralism, Jesus makes the exclusive claim that he is the only way to God. And a lot of people, they want to say, all roads lead to God. All religions are basically the same. But let's just think together for a moment and and recognize that while there may be some good things in a lot of different world religions, if we're honest, they're not anywhere close to being the same. In fact, let me just give you a quick little tour of some of the major religions of the world. Two minutes or less, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Jesus. Let's look briefly at this idea that all world religions are not the same. We'll start with Buddhism. Okay, a Buddhist believes there's no God. And they believe in a cycle of rebirth until eventually you hope to break out of that cycle and enter into a state of nothingness. That's Buddhism. You contrast that with a Hindu who's going to believe in a God, but it's an impersonal God that's approached through deities, idols, statues. And so you take these two, Buddhism and Hinduism. They offer no forgiveness of sins. They offer no supernatural help, only karma. In other words, if you cut somebody off the road, then somebody else is going to cut you off the road because, baby, you deserve it, right? That's what they believe. And then you contrast that with a Muslim who's going to worship a personal God named Allah, and a Muslim has no secondary gods. Not at all. There's a total ban on idols, and you're standing before God. It's based on your own religious good works and efforts. You contrast that with somebody who's into New Age theology. In New Age, there's no type of God. Your goal is to become one with the cosmos, one with the universe. And and then you contrast that with someone who's a follower of Jesus who believes in a personal God who loves his people so much that he became like them in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and then died on the cross to pay the price for the sins of the world. 
And now people are made right with God, not through deities or idols or religious performance, but by faith in God's son, Jesus alone. So can we not acknowledge that while there may be good and positive things in a lot of different world religions, they're absolutely and completely not the same. Fair enough? And here's what I want you to do today. It's really simple. I wanna ask you to simply consider Jesus. No matter your background, consider Jesus. And let me be very clear. I am not asking you to consider our church. Not doing that. I'm not asking you to consider a denomination. I'm not even asking you to consider Christians because can we just admit some of them can be pretty screwy? (laughs) Don't point at them right now, please. I mean, some of them are normal and like, yeah, I'd like to hang out with that guy. And then the other one is narrow-minded, kind of hateful, judgmental, has bad hair, right? Where'd he come from? So I'm not asking you to consider Christians. I'm not even asking you to consider me because tragically, I would let you down. I would love to be the perfect example for you, but trust me, I am far, far from it. All I'm asking you to do is consider Jesus, what he claimed and what he actually did. Just look at him and see what happens. And I want to consider three aspects of Jesus's life. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this first one down. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider who he came for and how he treated those people. The ministry of Jesus. Look at Mark 2, 16 to 17, which essentially tells us why Jesus came. I love this. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him, Jesus, eating with the sinners and tax collectors, Okay, Jesus was hanging out with the ones the religious people despised, rejected. Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And so they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, someone who's religious shouldn't eat with that type of a person. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but who needs a doctor? The sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but who did Jesus come to call? He came to call sinners. I love this statement from Jesus, that he did not come for people who have it all together. He came for people like me who are lost, who need help, who need grace, who need mercy. Jesus actually came for those that religion rejected, right? When everyone else was saying, we're too good. You're not good enough. You're not clean enough. You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. That's exactly who Jesus came for. Jesus loved the people that everyone else despised. Jesus welcomed the people that everybody else turned away. Jesus did not come for perfect people. So if you're absolutely perfect, just keep on shining your halos and sitting there acting like you got it all together, right? And recognize that Jesus came for people like me. Not only did he come for sinners, but when you look at the ministry of Jesus, you'll be blown away by the miracles of Jesus. What did this guy do? I mean, by the power of God, Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He caused the mute to speak. I mean, he took a few loaves and fish and fed thousands of people. He cast demons out of people. He raised people even from the dead. Jesus' first miracle, he turned water into wine, a miracle that's a real problem for many of my religious friends, right? Wine must be non-alcoholic wine. I know it is in the original language. It's gotta be, gotta be. Sorry, guys. You know, and what's fascinating to me about the miracles of Jesus, hear me on this, his detractors did not debate the validity of those miracles. They just wanted him to stop. By what power is he doing this? No one said he didn't raise the dead. They saw it. 
Consider the ministry of Jesus, the impact he made, the difference he made. And what's crazy is I know looking out here that many of you, you along with millions of others worldwide, you are a miracle because of the ministry of Jesus. And if I had time, I'm telling you, I could tell you story after story, hundreds of people here at Hill Country Bible Church who could say, this is who I was and this is who I am now. Man, I was messed up, but I have been transformed. I was addicted, but now I'm free. I was full of hate, but now my heart is full of love and grace. You're different because of the work of God's son, Jesus, in your life. You know, I am a miracle because of the ministry of Jesus. I'm telling you, I am an entirely different person than I was before I became a Christian. You can ask my wife. She's known me since I was 16, back when I was a pagan. And I I don't need to get into all the details here. But in every respect, personality, interest, gifting, I would have been voted the least likely to become a pastor. Trust me. Some of that change, it happened when I came to Christ. Much of that change, it's been slow and steady over the course of my Christian walk. But as the Bible says, I'm a new creation. The old's gone, the new's come. I'm a completely changed person because of the power and the presence of God in my life. So consider it. Consider the ministry of Jesus. The second thing to consider if you're taking notes is this. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. You say, why does the resurrection matter? Well, first of all, Jesus was supernaturally conceived. He was born of a virgin. He was completely without sin because he didn't inherit a sin nature from an earthly father. And so Jesus, he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And then he died on a cross to pay the price for the sins of the world. And trust me, he suffered horribly. And it's so interesting because when they spit on him and mocked him and hurled insults at him and beat his body beyond recognition on the cross, Jesus cried out to heaven and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What kind of grace is that? What kind of love is that from the cross? And at the very end on the cross, he cries out this victorious cry, Father, it is finished. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. The Bible says he breathed his last. He gave up his life. And the moment that happened, the earth went dark. The ground trembled. In fact, there was a centurion present. He was not a follower of Jesus, but he witnessed the crucifixion. And when he saw the love of Jesus, his heart, his mercy, who he was, this centurion said, I didn't used to believe, but I believe now. Surely this was no ordinary man. Surely this man was the son of God. And just as Jesus had predicted, I will be put to death. And then three days later, I will be raised to life. Sure enough, three days later, these women, they came to the tomb where Jesus was buried. The stone was rolled away. He was not there. Peter who had just denied Jesus right before the crucifixion. Do you know him, Peter? No, no, I don't know the guy. Weren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no, 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 no. We saw you hanging out with him. No, not me. Peter was absolutely and completely transformed because he saw the empty tomb. And a few days later, he started to preach powerfully about the resurrection. In Acts 3.15, Peter said this to the religious leaders, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You killed Jesus, but he's not dead anymore. He is risen from the dead. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And then he said, and this is the key, we are witnesses of this. We are witnesses that we saw him. We saw him. The reason these men were willing to give their lives for the same Jesus that they had denied just a few days earlier is because they saw the resurrection. It all hinges on the resurrection. 
And what's funny to me is sometimes people will try to say, well, maybe the Roman soldiers stole the body. No, no, no. The Roman soldiers would have loved nothing more than to be able to produce a dead body. Well, well, maybe the disciples stole the body. That's right. A group of unarmed men overpowered the best trained armed Roman soldiers. You know, do you really expect any rational person to believe that 11 ordinary uneducated men pulled off the greatest scheme, the greatest hoax in history, and then covered it up, kept it a secret, all at tremendous personal cost to themselves? And so they cheated the world to become a better place all at the same time now. We are witnesses of this, they said. And hear me on this, 10 of the 11 remaining disciples, Judas took his life. There were 11 left. 10 of those 11 remaining disciples died the death of a martyr. Why? Why were they willing to give their lives? Who would die for a lie? They died because they saw him. You know, the only one who remained living was John. Later in life, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he died alone in his old age. Probably my favorite of the 12 was Thomas. It's Thomas. He's my favorite because he's a lot like me. Thomas was a skeptic. Thomas was the doubter. Thomas is a lot like some of you. You want to believe, but you're not sure. You need a little bit more. See, Thomas wasn't around when Jesus appeared to all the others. And so he said, I don't believe it. Well, unless I touch it, unless I experience it for myself, I will not believe it. Well, Jesus paid a special visit just for Thomas. said, Thomas, here I am. Come on, see me, touch me. Go ahead. He needed a little bit more. And some of you, maybe you're like that. You need a little bit more. Today, I believe God's going to give you what you need, just like he gave Thomas what he needed. You know what Thomas went on to do? He became a missionary in India. He took the gospel message all the way to India. That's how much the doubter believed. And when they said to Thomas one day, Thomas, if you'll deny your faith in Jesus, we'll let you live. But if you stand by Jesus, we're going to kill you right now. You know what Thomas the doubter said? I can't deny the one who died for me and rose again. You know what they did? They drove a stake straight through his body. They impaled him. Why? Because he was an eyewitness of the empty tomb. He saw it. He saw the resurrection. He was one who said, he is risen indeed. I've seen him. I've seen him alive. So back to Peter's first sermon. 3,000 people that day put their faith in Jesus back in Acts. The early church began, and here we are now, 2,000 years later. And literally, you're talking about hundreds of millions, some say 2.1 billion Christians worshiping in hundreds of thousands of churches all around the globe. And every single one of them believes and has put their faith in the empty tomb, that he's not there. The tomb is empty. He is risen indeed. So consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. And finally, the third thing I want you to consider this morning is the eternal message of Jesus. What does it take to be made right with God? Romans 3.22 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Romans 3.22 tells us that we are made right with God by doing what? Let's say it out loud together. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Say it again. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, please, 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 
Notice what this doesn't say. It doesn't say we are made right with God by being good enough. We are made right with God by doing good things and not doing bad things. We are made right with God by not saying bad words on the golf course. We are made right with God by not yelling at our kids in the car or fighting with our spouse on the way to church on Easter. I see some of your faces here. You're like, whoa, how did he know? Hey, we're going to worship Jesus. <laughs> Smile and look like you love it. Glory to God. Why does that always happen on the way to church, right? Here's what Paul said. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Don't miss that last part. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This is true for you, if you believe. No matter who you are. Right? No matter how bad you've been, no matter how many times you have messed up in life, no matter what you have done, right? no matter how many people you have hurt, no matter how messy your life is right now, no matter how many times you've sinned, you're made right with God, not by being good enough, but because Jesus was good enough. Jesus was perfect. He took the penalty for you. He paid the price for your sins. Folks, this is the difference between religion and relationship. And I'm telling you, Jesus did not come to start a religion. Jesus came to offer us forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus did not come to start a religion. Jesus came to show us the love of God. Religion is all about how you perform. Relationship is all about how Jesus performed. Religion says, if I just do enough good things, maybe, maybe, maybe God will love me. Relationship says, because God loves me, I want to obey. Religion's all about what you do. Relationship is all about what Jesus has done. And hear me on this. All the other religions in the world say do, do, do. Christianity says done, done, done. So consider the eternal message that you're not made right with God by being good enough, but by faith in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Well, here's where I stand. You ready? If there is someone who claims to be the son of God and the only way to the father and he predicts his death and he predicts his resurrection and then he dies and he comes back to life again, I'm going with that God. I'm going with that guy because that's also a guy who came for someone like me, someone who is lost, someone who is troubled. And that guy showed me the very heart of God, a God that would send his son, not for the healthy, but for the sick, not for the righteous, but for the sinners. And because of what he's done for me, my only reasonable response is to say, Jesus, I'm putting my trust, my faith in you and you alone. I'm not banking on anyone or anything else. I believe you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the only one who gives life. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in anyone else. I'm putting my trust solely in you and your promise of forgiveness and eternal life, period, end of story. And for some of you here, maybe that's where you're at right now this morning, that God has given you what you need, right? And you're considering Jesus, you're looking at this and going, because of who you are, because of what you did, Jesus, my only reasonable response is to say, yeah, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you. Let's pray to him right now. 
Lord Jesus, we come before you. We know that you are omnipresent. You are here right now in our midst. And I pray for anybody here in this moment. And maybe they came into this room today and maybe they weren't sure how to get right with you. If you're here this morning and you're not absolutely 100% sure that if you were to die today that you would be forgiven, that you would be in heaven with Jesus and his Father, you can be sure. Because it's not about anything that you have to do. It's not about coming and walking an aisle. It's not about a particular prayer that you would pray. It's not about promising to clean up your life. You can't do that. It's about putting your faith in Jesus. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus and him alone, recognizing that he's the only way, the only truth, the only one who gives life. So I would urge you in this very moment, just in the quietness where you're sitting there in your heart, just say, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you are who you claim to be, the very son of God. And I believe that you lived that perfect life I couldn't live. And because of that, when you died on the cross, you paid the price in full for all of my sins. And I believe your promise that whoever puts their faith in you receives forgiveness and eternal life. With everyone's heads bowed and <laughs> eyes closed, I would just want to encourage you this morning, if, if if this is the first time you've really put your faith in Jesus and you know for sure that you're going to heaven, would you just for five, 10 seconds, raise your hand up so I can just praise God. We can praise God for his incredible work. Raise your hand, keep it up high. Thank you. You are a miracle of Jesus Christ, of the ministry of Jesus right now. Thank you, Lord. God, for all of us who have come in here this morning and we have that relationship with you, might we never, ever forget the price you paid, the unfathomable love that you showed for us, the amazing grace. And I am so thankful that you didn't come for people that think they're righteous and healthy. You came for those like me who recognize that we are broken, fallen sinners. But you've forgiven us. And now we have a new power through your Holy Spirit to live life in your righteousness. So Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you, to hear from you, and just to celebrate your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray.